More and more of us are renting for longer. Not by choice, but by necessity. Over half their pay goes to their landlord. I'm, I'm left with nothing. Is this your living room? Is this your bedroom? <laughs> A bit of both. Enter the micro-apartment. 18 square metres. In cities, especially, more people are renting into their 30s, 40s and beyond, sometimes raising children in rented flats with no long-term security. We can't afford to live in London now. What on earth is going to happen to them? We're all going to be living with our children and our grandchildren in one house. I mean, we're regressing back. back. We're regressing back. Rents are sky high. Saving for a deposit can take a decade or longer. And for many people, property ownership seems completely unachievable. This kind of this kind of size is set aside for um, two people sharing a couple. How much? How much does it cost? This one is eight twenty a month. I was paying six hundred and forty pounds a month. It went up to eight hundred pounds a month. Up and down the country, landlords are beginning to clamp down on their tenants on benefits, either evicting them or refusing to take new ones on. But what if we could do something about it? Could rent controls be the answer? That's the big question on the weekly economics podcast today. I'm Aisha Thomas Smith. Stay with us. Sadiq Khan said the controls were needed to rebalance London's private rented sector. We've got to make sure we reduce the cost of renting in London. So I'm joined this week by Hannah Wheatley, researcher here at the New Economics Foundation and co-author of a NEF report on rent controls. Hello, Hannah. Hi, Aisha. Lovely to have you back. Squarely in the guest chair this time, not in the presenter chair. I might do a bit of asking you questions. Well, mm, we'll see about that. Gunning for my job constantly. Also (laughs) joining me is Eva Freeman, who is a private renter and member of London Renters Union. Welcome, Eva. Hi. Thanks for being here. Okay. We're going to get into the policy detail about rent controls in a little bit, but let's start off by understanding more about the problem. So, Hannah, obviously loads of us are renting, me included, so it's all close to our hearts. But at the big picture level, what's the problem with the rental market in the UK? I mean, where to start? Mm. Um, (laughs) uh, We basically have a situation uh, in London, which is kind of the the remit of of what we're talking about when we're talking about rent controls. We've got 2.4 million people in a private rented sector that is insecure, unaffordable and unsafe. Mm. And so... um, We've, we've got all of those people that are trapped in this private rented sector that they can't get out of because they either can't afford to buy or there's not enough social housing. So loads of people who are in the private rented sector who don't want to be. And when they're there, they're faced with really, really high rents and um, poor quality. So with rents in particular, um, we've seen that uh, on average, Londoners spend 43% of their income on rent. And obviously that's an average. Yeah. yeah. So there are some places where like in Newham, I think it's something like 80%. um, And that's kind of varies across London. Places like the UN and Shelter say that people should spend uh, about a third of their income on household costs. So across London, we're seeing people spending much more than that. And on top of that, the uh, rent prices have risen three times as fast as incomes over the last uh, 10 years. So we're Mm. seeing it increasingly kind of spiralling out of control. Wow. Uh, so we'll dive into some of the reasons behind that later. But for now, Eva, tell us a little bit about your renting experience. What drew you to the London Renters Union? And also, what is that? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, so I am a single mum. My son is 10. And I just always remember the first time that I signed a 12-month contract after mm. my son was born. And I suddenly thought, this is it. Mm. Up until that point, I'd always thought it was my choice. You know, I've been at university. I've been living with friends. I like the idea of being able to move and I also just assumed that at some point when you want a home that you could then you'd be able to access that I'd never even thought about it Mm -hmm. and 
the insecurity just kind of like hits you really like in the in the gut. Yeah. Uh, I was before I was a member of the London Renters Union. I was part of Diggs Hackney mm-hmm. Renters. And what do those groups do? They just it's just starting to like uh, campaign around around housing and for private renting. Like when I first joined Diggs, very few people were talking about about housing and certainly not the private not the private rented sector. And very few people when you spoke to them, they didn't identify as renters. Mm. And over the years, that's that's changed. So now we have with Acorn in the rest of the country and in London, the London Renters Union, and we're building the power and the voice to kind of say, not any anymore. You mm. have this is a sector that we are building our homes, feeding our families in. You have to sort it out. It's not mm. it's not currently fit for purpose. And there's nothing in the there's nothing in the power holders that said it's going to be that they're going to make it without pressure from other people. And has being involved affected you? directly in any way yet is your has your housing situation changed or is it yeah I mean so I'm a single mom I'm on housing benefit and you live in constant fear of having to when when you're going to get issued with a section 21 um eviction eviction. and yeah and a few years ago that that happened to me I've been living somewhere for four years and it turns out if you're on housing benefit you can't access housing so it took nearly a year to find somewhere else to live Mm. um which is like really it's very dehumanizing and humiliating because also because Absolutely. I have to get one bedroom flat I can't live in a house chair and the income that you're expected I think yeah. I was expected to be earning 42,000 pounds a year wow. in order to get a house wow and so being the idea of being part of the union is that you then have a collective that you're bargaining with against these landlords and these yeah so yeah, yeah collective bargaining power yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's much clearer. So, Hannah, let's talk a little bit about your rent controls report, how rent controls in other countries tend to work and what some of the recommendations were. So what were the kind of headline recommendations in the report? Um, So our headline recommendations based on a few months looking at rent control policies in other countries and cities and thinking about what might work for London, we were kind of really hoping, fingers crossed, that we'd just find one that we could transplant and, and copy and highlight a couple of changes. That'd be but nice. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> make my job a lot easier. But um, obviously all housing markets are really different and facing their own kind of pressures. And um, so it was really important that we looked at other places, but then took different parts of that and, and thought about different ways that that might work in London. Mm. Um, so the headlines for, for the, the proposals that we've made and that have been taken up by Sadiq Khan, um, the Mayor of London, are one for an open access online uh, register of landlords and the rents that they charge. One of the big problems uh, with rent control policies is that uh, you need to have information about the rents. And in the UK and in London, we don't have actual information about the specific rents of different houses. And why? Is that just because it's not collected? Yeah. I mean, it's a big okay. it's a big job if you were going around and asking and knocking on doors. But mm. we think that this online system is a much more interesting and hopefully less expensive way of getting that information. Mm. Um, plus, there's loads of exciting opportunities for kind of yeah building renters power and stuff where you know exactly what a flat on your road is charging for rent. And you know that yeah. it's the same size as yours. And you can kind of say, well, hey, <laughs> it's bad what's that, going that doesn't on exist there? already. That's shocking to hear. I even know. Though- I mean, because one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about recently is if I want to make some bread and Mm. sell it to people, I want to make 10 loaves of bread, the government is going to send somebody round to my house to see (laughs) if it's fit for purpose and they're going to find out everything about it. Whereas to rent, there's there's zero regulation. So landlords can rent, they can charge whatever they like and they don't record any of that information anywhere. 
Absolutely, so, yeah. Wow. And we're one of the least regulated rental sectors in Europe, London, and we've got the highest rents. Mm. Um, so, so that's number one. Number two is uh, having a property-linked rent control. So some rent controls that we looked at will control rents at the beginning of a tenancy and within a tenancy. So each year, rents can only be raised by, for example, inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when a tenancy ends, when someone moves out, the landlord can just raise the rent yeah. to, back up to market values and and whatever they wanted to charge anyway. So rents continue to rise in a kind of stepped fashion. Mm. Um, But what we're proposing is a property-linked rent control. So you wouldn't be able to just then revert back to the market between a tenancy. Mm. It would still be limited um, by Mm. a certain percentage each year, for example. Number three, and this is really important, is bringing rents down initially to a desired rent level. So lots of places will, Dublin and Scotland and other places have the the powers to to limit rents to a certain percentage each year. But in London, the rents are already too high. Yeah. And so we're saying that you have to start it by bringing them down over a kind of gradual time period, for example, five years, if you reduced rents by 1% for the next five years, uh, our research has shown that uh, you would have an actual real terms decrease of 20% over wow. the, those five years because of inflation. So that's one, bringing the rents down and then... Question on c- that. Yes, hit me. Yeah, well, I'm just because I'm just wondering, I can ima- well, I can imagine, obviously, in order to do that, you'd first of all have to do the first step, which is documenting it all, which is, you know, like a huge, as you say, an onerous task, potentially. But then also, wouldn't you just have a lot of people arguing, like landlords basically saying, my income is dependent on that income that I get. So I'm going to lose all this money. And it's, you know, I can imagine a chain reaction where there's a a massive outcry in response to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to think about um, the impact of any rent control policy on landlords. I'm Um, not advocating for landlords. I'm just saying I can imagine a huge backlash. Yeah, I mean, they're already organised and they're already coming for us, which is why we're getting organised. Okay, precisely. So sinister. (laughs) (laughs) It's sinister, but the landlord lobby is very rich, very powerful and very well organised. See, didn't know about that either. Totally. And also, how can we, you know, prop up business models that rely on, like, pushing millions of people into poverty? Like, Mm. you know, at some point you have to kind of come down. Upset some rich people. Exactly. Mm. I think it's also I think it's also really important to think about like the three main <laughs> tenures of housing in the UK are home ownership, social housing and rent and the rental private rented sector. Basically since 1989 when you talk about the home home ownership it's talked about in relation to the people who live there. When you talk about social housing it's talked about in relation to the people who live there and when you talk about whenever the government or anyone in power anyone talks about the private rented sector it's talked about in relation to the landlord and it being a business. But the moment that they removed secure tenancies and they started right to buy and they introduce housing benefit it becomes the responsibility of the private rented sector to mm. support and house people and if you know and if and it's not about landlord businesses and that's mm. what that's what needs to change and like you say they've chosen they've chosen a business which has a massive responsibility and they need to start taking that responsibility mm. absolutely interesting what's your next point um, so after bringing rents down, yeah, then we've done that. Done that. We've so done then the, yeah. you're doing them in an ongoing way, mm-hmm. uh, using a kind of index. So limiting the amount that that rents can change each year based on an index, including things like wage growth, uh, house prices, and other factors that need to be included. Um, who's going to do all this? You ask. I do ask. Yes. Who? See, I told you I'd ask questions. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, a centre for the private rented sector. 
You know, recognizing that um, there's all this stuff that we need to do to research and find out about what rents are charged and then think about how to enforce um, a rent control system. So we need a dedicated body that's looking at this. You know, as you said, Mm -hmm. it's increasing numbers of people that are living in this sector and they need a dedicated team of people that are thinking about how it works. Um, And then finally, a system for enforcement, which would be um, the centre for the private rented sector's kind of responsibility as well. And so would that centre the the first centre of the two centres or this anyway would that be one centre there's one centre and there's an enforcement body attached to that centre yeah would that centre be like a government body would that be a private thing so we haven't like completely spelt it out we Mm -hmm. were thinking some kind of like semi-independent body but that's maybe attached to the GLA for example but crucially um, it would have land uh, it would have no landlord (laughs) (laughs) it would have tenant representation like a significant Mm -hmm. level um, Mm -hmm. on its kind of board and in the room Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was also picked up by the mayor in in his report which we're really pleased to see yeah Ella you haven't you been doing some stuff with Sadiq um, so with the with this piece that we've just done on rent controls, um, LRU were involved in um, shaping, helped, helping to shape the rent control policy and then were there for the launch, which was really great to see, along with lots of other people from the renters movement mm. um, who were there to kind of have a roundtable with Sadiq Khan and talk about um, the policy. And was he, on, was he on board? What did he have to say? Yeah, so he's adopted those six things that I've just been through. He's adopted all six of those in his report, um, which talks about a blueprint um, for a new model for... London's renters. The kind of interesting uh, part of that is that he doesn't actually have the power to implement any of these at the moment. Mm-hmm. So he is calling for the powers to implement a rent control. Um, and we think that all mayor- mayoral candidates uh, in the next election should be calling for these powers too, because it's it's ev- it's touching everybody and it's not a kind of party political issue anymore. Mm. Eva. Hannah has just beautifully laid out an alternative vision for the uh, the private renters uh, sector. We've got a centre there. We've got enforcement. <laughs> we've got a register. What do you think? Would that would that fix it? It sounds it sounds it sounds pretty good. It sounds like the basis of something that could definitely be built on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talking personally, when Sadiq Khan says he wants rent controls, and he may have adopt like you could adopt each of those headlines, and it could mean not that much. As, yeah, especially as if we you currently don't have the power are. To then, I mean, I, do, yeah. I think that. I feel like you want to see each of those things and how they're actually happening in real, mm. because obviously in principle, signing for those things. I've always thought that, you know, currently renters, this thing about enforcement and also like having the recourse to challenge your landlord and to challenge when things happen. Like at the moment, you don't have that at all in the private rent sector. If you're facing disrepair, for example, and you to ask your landlord to fix it and he doesn't fix it. There's almost nothing that you can do mm. to get that to get that done. Those these things are all essential and they all need to change. I'm not convinced by the political will just yet. Yeah. I don't feel that it's I don't feel that it's strong enough. I feel mm. like it's it's moving towards it because of because of London, things like the London Renters Union, Generation Rent, mm. Acorn, and all these you know and other groups that are starting to talk about these things. It's really exciting that these things are starting to be talked about, but it really is just the beginning. Unless, mm. <laughs> and, mm. and, and that's why I guess things like the London Renters Union are so important because we need to continue to keep pushing and not accept when these things uh, come along. Yeah. Um, so in terms of places that are doing this well already i know you mentioned some other cities hannah but for a question for both of you are the other cities that we should be looking to that that have really got this nailed well i think berlin's quite exciting at the moment mm. um not, well not at the moment but in the future they've just called for um a five-year rent freeze because rents are too high so does that, does that mean they've bought it in or they're just calling for it they've called for it and i think it's gone through the first level of government and has to be signed off by the next level Ooh. um 
But they basically did that because they don't want to end up like London. (laughs) So we should go there maybe, yeah. So that's cool. They already had some rent control policies that weren't necessarily working that well. And that's something that we can maybe talk about a bit more. Yeah. But there are lots of rent control policies out there where which are often pointed to as like rent controls don't work because xyz have you seen san francisco blah 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 Mm. and there definitely are problems with rent control policies in other places and so what we were trying to get to was something that was um, learning from some of those mistakes and trying to sketch out what some of those issues could be and think Mm. about how we could do things differently in london yeah, I mean, I would like to dive into that a little bit because I think I've definitely heard those critiques of like, you know, once you bring in rent rental policies, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and using Berlin and San Francisco as an example. So for, for listeners who are not as well versed as, as I, of course, in the uh, in the fundamentals of the renters market internationally, could you lay out some of those those problems and then what you've done to address them? Um, yeah, so in some places, it's been argued that rent controls don't actually reduce rents and have sometimes pushed rents up for non-rent controlled properties. So the issue there uh, is that a lot of policies have exemptions or or homes that aren't included in the rent control policy. And so prices can be pushed up. So one of the things that we're calling for is that there are as few exemptions to the policy as possible if it were. What might be an exemption? Um, for example, new build uh, homes, and that's because they people don't want rent controls to diminish the supply of new properties into the rental market. Mm. Um, plus, things like really like super luxury properties might mm. not be included in a rent control. Um, but then there are other options where you could tax those properties more highly and use that mm. ring fence, that money to kind of increase social housing. You know, rent control as a policy like all policies, uh, is like not a panacea and you have to think about other policies that you can use to ameliorate some of the like negative yeah. consequences. So we're definitely not saying um, rent control, okay, bye. Like, mm. you know, there's lots we need to do around it. But I do think that the the reasons for rent control are now so great and the need is so high and rents in London are so expensive that mm. we have to do something about it and rent control is a really important first step. Mm. Eva, you talked a little bit about the rest of the country, which is uh, always really important and something that often we often end up having London-centric conversations here. So could you uh, tell us a little bit more about what's happening outside of London with ACORN and other organisations that you've mentioned that are doing this kind of challenging work? Well, for example, you've got uh, Living Rent in, in Scotland and in Glasgow, and they're doing work at the moment around immigration and people getting evicted through immigration and they living rent successfully like so in the UK we have something called section 21 which is no fault eviction which is how people can get evicted when they have when you have an assured shorthold tenancy which is what most almost all private renters will have that and they fought and they got an end to section to section 21 so Mm. that was just like through grassroots uh, wow, rental organising in Scotland. So now it's you know it's part of the UK, but they have they have no Section Twenty One. Uh, yeah. The government and have just opened a consultation to think about uh, ending Section Twenty One here, which is really exciting. Mm. And then Acon are you know they're supporting people to get their deposits back to fight their landlords and their letting agents, um, and doing a lot of com- lot of community organising as well as drawing attention and campaigning around the implementation of universal credit, mm. um, which is something that's affecting a lot of people. And So ACON is a, a national grassroots group. And so the idea with these groups of LRU and ACON and others is you're in a private renting situation, you might, you're served a Section 21 notice or you don't 
get your deposit back or you have some repairs that need doing on your house and your landlord says no, you can go to these organisations and say, I need help. And they so they're not you. so they're not service they're not service providers mm-hmm. at all. What we're talking about is like member solidarity. So mm-hmm. we're working together and believe in that our power comes from support and solidarity and like relational power and building our building our relationships. We can help each other every time that like, a member comes and they have they need to fight for their deposit back. Or say there was recent we had a recent victory for one of our members in Newham. Because she's on housing benefit, a letting agent told her that she had to sign, she had to pay six months rent up front in order to get mm. a house, and she managed to borrow from a lot of people to get the money to pay her six months rent up front. And when she went to sign the when she signed the contract, she realised it said that she had to pay another six months rent up front, or they wouldn't, or they would just issue her with a section twenty one. And so she said, "I can't move into the flat," and the letting agent refused to give her her money back. Oh and God. the union collectively members and took took action against the letting agent they were going every every weekend and in the end the letting agent have given her all of her money back wow amazing and that was like five grand wow Uh, but you know this was money that she was not going to have anymore this is somebody Mm. who you know this is a a single person on housing benefit just trying you know that that is so much money and but it's through those wins but those wins that is a win for that is a win for mary but it's also a win for all for all renters because Mm. these are the things that we have to start doing and we have to like we have to start collectivizing Mm. but yeah if you you come to the union it's about solidarity member solidarity Mm. rather than casework yeah that's a really useful example thank you and so do people need to be a member before they can so for example someone couldn't come and be like help me with this thing but i'm not a member you have to be a member first you can sign up and become a member okay <laughs> everyone, should. everyone yeah. should yeah join yeah, yeah. yeah join your join your local renters union and get so involved because i guess because people always say you know like oh one of the things that i've, I've often found but it, it is changing is you talk to people out there and go oh but my experience isn't so bad and i'm like no if you're a private renter you have insecure housing and even if it's like mm. just you know it's you're it's still not acceptable and you're still in crisis and you need to be a member of the london renters union because at any point you know like you're never with section 21 still being in place you're never more than two months away from potentially being made homeless mm. and that's like very real Wow, this is such a good rallying cry. I'm literally going to join up as soon as I leave. Um, okay, so let's do a quick fire round. We've got about 10 minutes left. Let's do a quick fire round of some of the common problems that people tend to have with the idea of rent controls. So we're really here to kind of thrash some of these things out. So first of all, mainstream economists, don't they hate the idea of of price controls, Hannah? I'm a mainstream economist. My name is John. I hate the idea of price controls. How are you going to change my mind? Of course your name is John. <laughs> Um, So yeah, classical economists uh, hate lots of kinds of price control um, Mm -hmm. because they think that the market uh, should will produce the best results. Um, Obviously, we see that time and time again it doesn't. So for example, um, minimum wage is an example of a price control um, that's setting the minimum floor that we can pay people. And that's had huge benefits and is now widely accepted as a legitimate defence against exploitation. So um, yes, there are people who don't like rent controls, but also the kind of benefits and need is increasingly outweighing those kind of like free marketeers. Mm. Would this actually reduce rents or would it just increase competition for cheaper flats? So, yeah, we talked about this a little bit already that like there have been some examples where rents haven't been reduced but there have been many examples where rents have been reduced. Um, for example, in San Francisco, research has found that people in rent-controlled properties paid about $2.3 billion less aggregate in rent than those not in rent-controlled properties between 1994 and 2016. Mm. Um, so that's one kind of numerical example. And then there are lots of other examples. 
Rent controls aren't new. They've existed throughout history, um, most notably after the Second World War, when rent controls were introduced in a lot of European countries to kind of stabilise prices at times of political uncertainty. Um, and so they have worked and they will work again and they do work now. Mm, nice. I'm still on quick fire. So <laughs> would landlords just sell off their properties and then there'd be fewer places to rent? Um, so rent controls do carry a bit of a risk of some landlords selling up because that's like, you know, some people's business models. But I think it's about a third of landlords in London don't have a mortgage they own outright. So there is like some people with quite a lot of wiggle room to have rents reduced. Mm. Um, obviously, some people uh, don't have as much wiggle room, especially people who have borrowed a lot um, for the for the home that they're renting. Mm. Um, but we think that um, there have been lots of kind of tax changes in the last couple of years that have also curbed the kind of profits and um, benefits that landlords have. And we haven't seen that kind of mass exodus of the of landlords from the private rented sector. Um, so it's unclear at the moment exactly how many landlords would leave. And that totally depends on the levels set. And so it would be a role of the centre for the private rented sector to think about um, how much the market can bear in terms of how much to reduce rents and thinking about the supply and the number of landlords um, that would sell up is a key part of that. The also, like, boo-hoo, so they might make... Le- <laughs> still, it's still going to be a profitable business. Like, yeah. I think it is really unethical to to make money from the privilege of owning more than one more than one property and having mm. access to housing as a way of gleaning an income. But, like, yeah, so they might, might reduce the amount of profit the landlords make, but it's still going to be... Uh, private renting is always going to be as in the current system while we have free markets and things mm. a way of making money and so it will just get replaced by people who are happy to do it yeah mm. and we also i think need to kind of yeah totally shift the way that we think about housing away from thinking about homes as assets to like yeah housing as homes mm. um and so they shouldn't be the the main focus of like housing in london shouldn't be to kind of replace someone's pension or to kind of like increase massively increase the wealth of the already wealthy like we need homes that are homes um and so yeah i think we need to kind of really flip that on its head yeah we need and we need if we're going to have landlords which it looks like we're a little way away from getting rid of them we need landlords who are doing it because they understand that it is a responsibility and they are providing homes they're not doing it for the free money they're doing it because the same reason that you provide food or water or clothes or any of the other services that humans, humans, need. <laughs> humans need and humans work to provide for each other yeah. across the board. Okay, final question from the shotgun economist. Would this cause a housing price crash for homeowners and could we just build more houses instead? Is this actually just a scarcity problem? Okay, I think that's two questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm an unreasonable man named John. Answer that question. So for house prices, um, there are obviously risks that uh, reducing um, the rent that is chargeable might reduce house prices because they are less kind of speculated on. And for lots of people who are trying to get onto the housing ladder, that might be a good thing. And then the other thing is that uh, in lots of countries where rent controls exist, that hasn't happened. So lots of places like New York and, like I said, Berlin, um, kind of competitive cities, which I hate saying, um, Mm. have a thriving rental market as well as rent controls. Plus, we would be looking at a kind of gradual implementation, not too gradual, but Mm. just so that we don't see a kind of yeah massive uh, Crash. crash. And then the second question, which was about... Build more homes. Build more homes. That'll fix it all. Yeah, classic. uh, Classic. (laughs) Build more homes, that'll fix it all. Um, 
it's, it doesn't work like that. Mm. Um, I think something like 80% of the homes, new homes that are built in London at the moment, only 8% of London's population can afford. Like, we're seeing not the right kinds of homes being built, one. Two, the increasing financialization of housing means that housing is being treated as an asset and not as a home. And that means that for every property that is sold uh, or, or put out for rent, there's, there's lots of other people and kind of unhealthy demand that are also bidding. It's not just somebody that wants it for their home. It's also an investor that wants it um, to, as an asset. And that's pushing uh, prices up. So it's not the case that just increasing supply would mean that prices came down and that rents were more affordable. Um, so we absolutely, we definitely need to increase the supply of social housing. And that's one of the things that we've said in the report time and time again, we need rent controls, but we also need to massively increase social housing supply and massively increase kind of support and protection for renters, including like Section 21 and security for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And and yes, DSS, because that's the other thing that we yeah. haven't talked about really is like the discrimination about the people who can't even uh, access housing. And for listeners who don't know, what is DSS and how does it work? So DSS doesn't exist anymore. It stands for Department of Social Services. But for some reason, it's it's hell, the only people who now use that phrase are letting agents on and everything landlords. That says no and DSS. everything says yeah. no DSS. But what it means is nobody on housing benefit, which includes... People like myself who work, but rent is too high, so you need housing benefit to support you. It means people who are people who are carers, people who are disabled, people who are unemployed. There is a whole host of reasons why, but it is basically just blanket discrimination of, of all of those mm. people. But one of the things also for me is that it represents the privatisation of the housing market that isn't talked about very much. Yeah. Because with the introduction of housing benefit, there was this idea that you didn't need social housing because the government would still pay for people's housing and they transferred their responsibility the government transferred their responsibility to the private rented sector, but without giving landlords any of the any of the responsibility so that's so they can still discriminate against people if you if a private company takes on a hospital an nhs hospital they still have to provide free care to everybody they might do it in you know mm. different levels of standards but they still have to do that in the private rented sector that isn't what happened so they don't have minimum standards they can decide who goes into the property i was mm. about to say their property which is always the thing they yeah. use it's my property so therefore i should be able to decide no you are housing people you've taken on that as your job so therefore you have to do you know Mm. do that and take that on do it bloody properly <laughs> exactly yeah. okay right i'm i'm organized i'm ready to go <laughs> how what happens next folks how do people get involved what's going to happen with your with your report what's going to happen with liu like what do we do um, so we've, yeah, we launched the report, I think, last month. That's really exciting. It's really cool to have it out there. We really think it's the beginning of a conversation and we really want to start having that conversation with more people. I want to do more work kind of digging into some of the ways in which it would work. And we really want to work with renters groups um, who are keen to kind of campaign for rent control to think about how we could do that. Mm. Um, so watch this space. And get involved. Yeah, either. and join your join your local housing group wherever mm-hmm. it is if you're in london join the london renters union if you're in scotland join living rent if you're everywhere else in the uk join acorn like this is a this is a fight and this is like we are gonna have to fight really hard it's not gonna be pretty <laughs> like, if we want this and it, but we're talking about our homes like mm. it's really fundamental and yeah that's what we that's, that's, what, we we need, that's what we need to do find yeah find your local branch join your local renters union Look at the report. There's also some videos of Hannah online explaining it, which I love, clickbait. So that's (laughs) a thing too. There's loads of stuff you can do, lovely listener. But for now, that is it for this week. Uh, Eva Friedman and Hannah Wheatley, thanks so much for being here. 
Thanks for having us. It was lovely. Uh, And lovely listener, I'm afraid that is it for this series as well. We're so sorry, but we will be back in the autumn. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, which as well as producing this podcast ad-free, is also a charity which does lots of great research, just like Hannah's, and campaigning to make the economy work for everyone. If you've enjoyed this series, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, but also if you supported Neff's work with a monthly or one-off donation at neweconomics.org slash donate. That's neweconomics.org slash donate, and we'll put that link in the description for this episode too. Have a great summer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Hold up. 